والسلام على رسوله الكريم سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا ان هدانا الله ثم الصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه ومن والاه بجن الدين الله سبحانه وتعالى indeed all praise and all thanks belong truly and solely to him Allah Azza wa Jal and we send our salutations upon our blessed Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam upon his family, his companions and all those who serve to be like him we ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to increase us in knowledge we ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to grant us knowledge which is beneficial and we ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to allow us to benefit from what we learn and to act upon what we learn uh, Inshallah before I begin um, I wanted to start on a note that, you know, Alhamdulillah, when we come here for our halaqat, it's a beautiful opportunity to connect with our brothers and, you know, for the, those who are upstairs, for our sisters as well, you know, to build these bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood, you know, to come together and unite for this single purpose of coming to learn about our Creator and how we can better get closer to our Creator. And in a moment like this, I wanted to just, you know, announce that, uh, you know, for many brothers and sisters who may not know, you know, our own brother Akuna Muhammad, you know, his grandmother passed away this week. And our own brother Rauf, his, his mother passed away this week, and his aunt. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy upon them, to grant them Jannah and Firdaus, to grant their families patience, and to unite them together in Jannah and Firdaus. Ameen. And inshallah ta'ala, later in the evening, give them your condolences. You know, let them know. Because this is part of what we're here. We're not here just to, you know, take notes, listen to a brief reminder, and go home. No, we're here to build these bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood for something that is greater than us, something that is bigger than us. And so just keep these things in mind, inshallah ta'ala, that, you know, when you come here, come with this open mind and come with this open heart of being receptive to others, of trying to meet new people and getting to know one another for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as we begin, inshallah ta'ala, in this session, what we have been doing for those who may uh, be new or who haven't been as regular in attending, we have been going over 10 principles concerning the purification of the soul. And so far we have started or reviewed already three of those principles. The first of which was that Tawheed, establishing the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the foundation in which souls are purified. And secondly, we talked about how dua is the key to souls being purified. And last time, two weeks ago, we started talking about how that the Quran is the source of purifying the soul. And we talked about that, and today, inshallah ta'ala, uh, we will continue that topic, we will finish it, and we will start the fourth principle, inshallah ta'ala, Muhammad will be speaking about, starting and introducing the fourth uh, principle concerning purifying the soul, inshallah ta'ala. So just remember these three that we have done so far, and inshallah at the end, uh, we will also have something special today, inshallah ta'ala. If you were here last time, you know what that means. Um, so to begin, inshallah ta'ala, the way we ended last session was that Muhammad, he gave us, he narrated one of the hadith and he told us a hadith. And the hadith is something that is very, very powerful when it comes to speaking about the Qur'an. And it is narrated on the authority of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu, in which he said that he heard Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, Inna lillahi minan nas ahneen. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a family or has people amongst the people on this earth. And of course, naturally, we think, we wonder, and this is the same point that we brought up last time that how can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have family? Right? So, this is 
principle that we know from the foundation of our belief. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no family, he has no son, no daughter, no parents, no siblings, right? This is not something that we can attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when we look at this hadith, we understand the loftiness and we understand the magnitude of the Qur'an and the people who act upon the Qur'an. And so the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they asked the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they said, Man hum ya Rasulullah? And he said, Ahlul Qur'an hum ahlullahi wa khasam. That the people of the Qur'an, they are the people of Allah, the people and those who are closest to Him. And so this is a hadith that many books have been written about. And what we want to do today, inshallah ta'ala, briefly, is that speak about what it means to be someone who is a carrier of the Qur'an, which we briefly started speaking about last time. What does it mean to be someone who is a carrier of the Qur'an? And there, like we said, there are many books that have been written about this. Last week we talked briefly about the book from Imam Nawawi. And there's another book in which we derive some points, inshallah ta'ala, from tonight, which is called Adab Hamalat al-Qur'an. And this was written by a Sheikh, Sheikh Abu Bakr Muhammad bin Hussein al-Ajuri, rahimahullah. And he wrote this book, which has many different chapters and sections. And one of the sections is called the virtues of Hamalat al-Qur'an, the virtues of the one who is the carrier of the Qur'an. And so in order for us to understand what is the virtue of that person and what it means, we must first understand who is Hamalat al-Qur'an. Who is the person who is Hamalat al-Qur'an? And when we translate Hamalat al-Qur'an, literally it means the one who carries the Qur'an. Obviously not carrying the Qur'an physically, as in the Mus'haf, but carrying the words, the wordings of the Qur'an, and what the Qur'an, the, the, the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this comes not in the form of a book, but rather it comes as people, it comes in the hearts. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, بَلْ هُوَ آيَاتٌ بَيِّنَاتٌ فِي صُدُورِ الَّذِينَ أُوْتُوا الْعِلْمِ These ayat, these ayat of Qur'an فِي صُدُورِ الَّذِينَ أُوْتُوا الْعِلْمِ They are placed in the hearts of those who have been given knowledge. So this is one, that having the Qur'an means implementing it and having it in your hearts. And elsewhere in the Qur'an, where we look in Surah Shu'ara, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَإِنَّهُ لَتَنْزِيلُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ That when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and He says, وَإِنَّهُ This Qur'an is a revelation from Rabbil Alameen, from the Lord of the Alameen, from the Lord of the world. نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ It was sent down, and it was brought down by the angel Jibreel alayhi salam, عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ لِتَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُنْذِرِينَ and it was brought down, where? Into your hearts, to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so that he can become, so that you may become from amongst those who are one of the warners. And elsewhere in the Qur'an where we look, and all we're doing here is just taking different ayats, different, different hadith, different aqwal from some of the scholars, and we're saying, and we're seeing how we can learn from these and implement them into our lives. And elsewhere in the Qur'an, in Surah Qiyamah, where Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala He tells the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به إن علينا جمعه وقرآن. That do not rush your tongue. That when Angel Jibril عليه السلام used to sit and memorize and help the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم memorize and understand the and memorize the Quran, the commandment came لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به. That do not rush, do not be hasty, and 
this by extension applies to us as well that when we sit with the Quran, when we try to learn the Quran, we don't rush with it. We don't treat it like it's any other book. We don't, you know, slur our speech while doing so and, and try to go as fast as we can. Rather, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, It is upon us for you for it to to be compiled and to be put and, and, and to be recited. And especially for the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa and so this is one understanding that the one who is the carrier of the Quran he is the one who has the wording he has the kalam, he has the Quran in his heart and this doesn't necessarily this doesn't mean that someone who hasn't memorized the Quran cannot be someone who is hamalat al-Quran someone who is the carrier of the Quran and we talked about this last time as well this is just briefly a small form of review but rather it shows there is greatness there is magnitude in someone memorizes the Quran but this is not the only condition and this is by far nothing in comparison to what it means to be someone who is a carrier of the Quran and in brief in short a person who is a carrier of the Quran they have to come with three things they have to come with three things in order to be from amongst those who are hamalat al-Quran you have to come with three things number one you have to have the correct pronunciation of the Qur'an. In order to be amongst those who are the carriers of the Qur'an, you have to come with the correct pronunciation of the Qur'an. And this applies to all of us, regardless of where our background is, what our familiarity is with the Qur'an, and you know, what our first language is. You know, we can always make excuses. You know, Arabic is not my first language. It's hard for me to understand, to learn, right? But this is not, this is not a good excuse. Rather, it is upon us that we sit down, we make time, and we try our best to learn the Qur'an and how it should properly be recited, right? We don't have to overwhelm ourselves, but we take it upon ourselves that I understand that this is a weakness of mine. And why is pronunciating the Qur'an so important? Because even pronunciating one letter, one word, can change the meaning, as we know. And so, giving each letter its due rights, giving each each half, each halakha its due rights, this is something that we must do. And the person who is Hamad al-Quran, they must, he or she must take this upon themselves. So this was one, that they must have the correct pronunciation of the Quran. Second is that they must come and they must have the correct understanding of the Quran. Because as we know, many people, if they take an ayah of Quran, they distort its meaning, they twist its meaning, and they may take its meaning to mean something else than what it means. And we know in the Quran there are ayat muhkamat and ayat mutashabihat, ayat that are clear and ayat mutashabihat in which there are different areas where people differ. And many people nowadays what they do is they take their rulings from ayat mutashabihat from those ayat that may not be as clear for us to derive ruling from and they leave off those ayat where the ruling and what is being told to do is very clear. And so this is why having correct understanding is very important. And the last, the third and final requirement for someone to be from Muhammad al-Quran is that they must have the correct implementation. Is that they must implement and act upon what, what they have learned and, and, and what the Quran is. And we know that this is something that is throughout. We have, we have spoken about it and, and just in general. We know that to learn something only means so, only means so much. But to act upon it is taking it a step further. It's so much more. And we know like, like there's a famous proverb 
or learning something without action is like a tree that bears no fruit. Like a tree that you know has no benefit. You know, think about what that tree provides for you. Provides no fruit, it may has no shade for you, doesn't have fresh air, doesn't have fresh oxygen. It's just taking up space. And so this is the same thing for a person who they may learn Quran. They may understand Quran, but they don't act upon it. Or they just come with one of these three characteristics of the one who is the, the, the carrier of the Qur'an. So if I learn the Qur'an, if I memorize the Qur'an, if I have a beautiful voice, I know the different rules of Tajweez, but I'm not acting upon it. And I'm not understanding what I'm reading. Then I don't fall into this, I don't fall into this category of being amongst those who are Ahlullahi wa Khalsum, Ahlullah, Ahlul Qur'an. And this is something that we have to do. That we must take it upon ourselves. Try our best to learn the Qur'an implement the Qur'an and understand what we are reading, what we are reciting. And there are many ways, and we'll talk about them inshaAllah. But this is also an example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He warns us about in the Qur'an, when He speaks about the Jews. And He says, مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ حُمِّلُوا التَّوْرَاتَ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَحْمِلُوهَا كَمَثَلِ الْحِمَارِ يَحْمِلُوا إِسْفَارَ And he, look, look at the word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses. He says that the, the example of those who used to carry those who used to carry the Torah and then they stopped carrying it meaning they learned the Torah they understood the Torah but then they didn't act upon it what is the example? Some of the, one of the lowest examples that a person can give their example, their likeness is the likeness of a donkey that is carrying books look at this that this donkey, it doesn't have any knowledge. It's just carrying the books. This donkey, it has, it has nothing. Whatever is in the books, the donkey doesn't know. And so this often, it's, it's a very strong example. But it's something often when we take it upon ourselves, we learn it. And we look at it and we analyze it and we reflect upon it. We see that how many of us, we may know an ayah of Quran, but never even once we thought about what this ayah means. Or we never thought about how we implement this ayah. Right? And this is something even if we are in, we have a routine, a schedule, in which we dedicate time towards Qur'an, towards memorizing Qur'an, reading Qur'an, learning Qur'an, the way that we look at it is not, we should not think about when, when will I finish the Qur'an? You know, when will my lesson end? When will my class end? Rather, the way that you should look at it is when will I understand it? When will I act upon it? These are the questions that you should be asking yourself. Right? You have to be real with yourself. You have to look inside. You have to ask yourself, am I sincere? Am I wanting to learn the proper recitation? Am I wanting to learn the proper understanding? And am I wanting and eager to learn how to implement the Qur'an? As we talked about last time, the Sahaba when they would learn 10 ayat of Qur'an, they would not move forward. They would not learn another ayah. They would not learn another set of ayahs until they understood and implemented the 10 ayat that they had learned. And when we speak about the carriers of Qur'an and how they are the people who are closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it means that these people, they must act upon the Qur'an. Why? Because if a person, they don't act upon something that they have in front of them, something that they know or something that they have an understanding of, meaning their actions don't align with their understanding, then they cannot be amongst those who are closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. On a smaller level, we look at an example mentioned in the Qur'an. When we look at the example of Prophet Nuh 
And Nuh when the flood happened, and we all know the story, and mentioned in Surah Hud, in which he told his son, He told his son, come, come with us. Do not be amongst the disbelievers. And he responded, what did he say? He did not go on the ship, he did not go on the ark. And rather, he was, he was drowned, he was not saved. And later on, a few ayahs later, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells Nuh alayhi salam, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ أَهْلِكَ He is not from your family. Why is he not from your family? Even though he's a son, إِنَّهُ عَمَلٌ غَيْرُ صَالِحِ Because his actions were not righteous. And so meaning, his actions are not righteous, and so if someone's actions are not righteous, they can, and, and we're talking here about Qur'an, if someone's actions upon, with the Qur'an are not abiding by the Qur'an's commandments, they are not abiding by what the Qur'an is telling us to do, then how can they be from the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How can they be from the carriers of Qur'an? So this is just one way to look at it. Now when we talk about how do we bring the understanding and how do we bring implementation of the Qur'an into our life? And this is something many scholars, they have written about. They have categorized people. They have said that, you know, for example, Ibn Qayyim, he said that those who come and the Qur'an will intercede for them on the Day of Judgment, if the Qur'an will be a hujjah for them on the Day of Judgment, that they, he says that they are Those who have the knowledge of the Qur'an, meaning they knew it, they understood it, and they acted upon what was contained within the Qur'an. Versus those who will come, maybe they understood the Qur'an, but they never acted upon it. They recited the Qur'an, and as we know from a famous hadith, from amongst the first three people to enter the hellfire, one of them will be one who knew the Qur'an, who recited the Qur'an. And when he was brought before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala questions him, and the person he explained, he proclaims and he says that, I did this for you, Ya Allah. I recited the Qur'an, I learned the Qur'an for you, Ya Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, no, you're lying. You're lying, rather you did it for the people, right? And then this person will be dragged into the hellfire. And this is, this from this story alone, from this point alone, we can bring so many things, talking about sincerity, talking about the importance of doing things only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But look at how reciting the Qur'an is not just enough. Reciting the Qur'an, merely reciting the Qur'an is not enough. We have to take it upon ourselves to learn it, to understand it, and to act upon it. So how do we do so? How do we do so? One, the author who wrote this book, he breaks it down. And he gives three points. The three things a person must come with if they want to act upon the Qur'an. If they want to ponder over the Qur'an and act upon it or implement it. And he uses an ayah in the Qur'an mentioned in Surah Qaf. And he says, إِنَّ فِي ذَٰلِكَ لَذِكْرَى لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ أَوْ أَلْقَى السَّمْعَ وَهُوَ شَهِيدٌ That indeed contained within the Qur'an, in this Qur'an, is a remembrance. لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ To the one who has a heart. أَوْ أَلْقَى السَّمْعَ وَهُوَ شَهِيدٌ And from this ayah, he derives three things, three points. He says, for a person to ponder and reflect upon the Qur'an and implement it, he must come with these three things. Number one, is that he must have a heart. And when we say he must have a heart, we are not speaking about just any heart. Rather, it is a heart that is alive. A heart that is alive. And we look at one of the hadith of the Prophet in which he said, مَثَلُ الَّذِي يَذْكُرُ رَبَّهُ 
That the example of the one who remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the one who does not remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the example, is the parable, is the likeness of the one who is living and the one who is dead. So when we're speaking about the heart here, it means that the heart is spiritually alive. Not physically alive, spiritually alive. And that the heart is open. The heart is open to receiving the Quran. Like Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah, he said, he said that just as the earth, for example, when you want to plant something in the earth, certain things, they can't grow everywhere. They have, the earth has to accept this plant, this seed, for it, for it to grow. The, the land has to be fertile enough. Or, he gives, or another example is, for example, medicine. In order for the medicine, any medicine that you take, your body has to accept it. And previously when we spoke about the Qur'an, we said that the, that the Qur'an is shifa. And the, the Qur'an is, is a healing, is a cure. And so similarly, your body, it must accept it. So you must, number one, you must have a heart that is alive and that is accepting of the Qur'an. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَ لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ أَوْ أَلْقَ السَّمْعَ The second thing is that the person, they must give their ear to the Qur'an. Meaning they must listen to the Qur'an attentively. And this is something, many of us, first and foremost, we should increase the amount of Qur'an we are listening to. Right? Like a few months ago, we were speaking with some brothers and, and there was this thing where many people, they post, for example, Spotify. And Spotify tells you how many minutes and what your top song was of the year and how many minutes you listened to the entire year of, of music. Right? Or whatever you use the app to listen to. But it, it, it tells you, and many people, they were probably, you know, posting or, or announcing, look at, you know, this is my number one artist, this is how many minutes I listen to, you know, this person, or, or so on and so forth. But how many minutes have we listened to the Qur'an? How much time have we listened to the Qur'an? Right, it's, it's simple, very, be honest with yourself, right? And, and ask yourself, how often am I listening to the Qur'an? And is that having an effect on my heart at all or not? And when it comes to listening to the Qur'an, to listen to the Qur'an attentively, to not only play it, you know, when someone passes away or when we're about to have an exam or when we get in the car and, you know, we're on the way to Jumu'ah, this is not the only time to, to listen to Qur'an. But rather to listen to it attentively, to give our, our full attention, right? And to try and understand what we are hearing. This is the second point, to listen to the Qur'an. And like the ayah says, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكَرَ لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ أَوْ أَلْقَ السَّمْعَ وَهُوَ الشَّهِيدٌ And lastly is that the person remains present, that they are attentive towards the Qur'an, whether they are listening to it, whether they are reading it, whether they are memorizing it, whether they are trying to understand it, whatever they are, when they are sitting with the Qur'an, when they are with the Qur'an, they are attentive with it. Right nowadays, many of us, we may sit with the Qur'an, and there are a lot of, you know, different adab, different mannerisms in which we should be sitting with the Qur'an. We don't have time to go into all of them. Right, for example, coming with wudu, facing the qibla, sitting in a manner that is, you know, respectful, so on and so forth. But when we speak about being attentive, you know, sometimes when we sit with the Qur'an, for example, you know, at the same time we're scrolling, you know, we're scrolling on our phone, or we have the TV playing in the background, or, you know, we're having a conversation even with people. And this is not giving the Qur'an the right. And so to be amongst those people, when we take it back to what we're talking about in the beginning, of being amongst those who are carriers of the Qur'an, who are amongst those who are closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the bare minimum. This is something that you must do. And so, just to review this ayah, that in order for a person to 
ponder upon the Quran and to reflect and implement the Quran, we must come with a heart that is alive, that is spiritually alive, and that is open to receiving the Quran. And they must listen to the Quran attentively, and they must be present, and they must be someone who is attentive to the Quran. Now, not to delay, but what are some ways in which we can increase our recitation of Quran? Practical ways. And we're only just a few months away from the month of Quran, the month of Ramadan. And from now is the moment in which we should be preparing for that month. Like many other things that we do, preparing for any other events. This is, the, this is the best way for us to prepare, is to start doing so ahead of time. And so first and foremost, when you sit with the Qur'an, number one, be grateful. How to increase your presence with the Qur'an and how to increase your connection with the Qur'an, number one, be grateful. Because when you are with the Qur'an, you have been given a gift and an ability to be with the Qur'an that many other people, they don't have this gift. They don't have this ability to do so. So be grateful for this blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has you. That you are amongst those who you have a physical copy of the Qur'an. Any masjid you go into, you can pick up a Qur'an. Look at our Muslim brothers and sisters overseas, where they're, where they're being burnt alive for having a copy of the Qur'an, where they're being put in jails and prisons, if they get caught with the Qur'an. Can you imagine if someone came to your home and they saw the books that you have, the Qur'an that you have in your house, and you got put into jail for that? Imagine, right? Just, you just put that into perspective and think about how much of a gift the Qur'an is. And how much of how much we have abandoned. <laughs> On the day of judgment, the Messenger will proclaim and say that, Ya Rabb, oh Allah, that my, my people, my nation, they have abandoned. And so number one, be grateful for this Quran that you have. Because not everyone has it. And this was a gift only to this Ummah. Only to the Ummah of the Prophet. And even amongst our Ummah, not everyone has received it. There are many people, they have never heard Qur'an in their life. They have never picked up the Qur'an off their shelves. They have never understood an ayah, even if they read the Qur'an cover to cover, and has never entered their heart. So if one ayah impacts you, if one ayah you understand the meaning of, if one ayah you can read properly, and you have the eyes, for example, there are many people that are reading the Qur'an in Braille. They don't have eyesight. So is, is that not motivation enough for us? Is that not motivation enough for us to recite, to pick up the Qur'an, to look at it with our actual eyes, to give it our attention? So this is number one, to be grateful. Secondly, is to be sincere. When we are sitting with the Qur'an, to be sincere. And know that like any other act of worship, for it to be accepted, it has to be done only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the same thing applies to the Qur'an. When we sit with the Qur'an, yes, many... For example, when it comes to beautifying our voice, this is something the Qur'an tells us to do. Al-Qur'ana To recite it in its proper manner, to recite it with tarqeel. But at the same time, knowing, and the hadith that we just mentioned, the, the one who is going to be dragged into the hellfire, knowing that our actions and the reason why we are reading and reciting Qur'an is only for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And no other purpose. Not to impress anyone, not so that my family can look at me, not for any other reason, but only understanding and knowing that what, the reason why I'm doing, why I'm learning Quran, reciting Quran, is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The third way in which we can bring the Quran into our life is to revise what we already know. To revise what we already know. Many of us, whether it's one surah, two surahs, something that we learned from when we are a very young age, when was the last time we touched the surah? When was the last time we looked at the surah? So make a habit. The more and more Quran you learn, the more eager you become and the more you learn, the more you have to review, 
the more you have to look back at and, and because as, as human beings it's in our nature that we forget right and so we don't have the memory of, of a person who if I memorize something 10 years ago 15 years ago I can remember easily rather when you have the Quran if you know something from the Quran make a habit of reviewing the Quran don't abandon this is what it means to abandon the Quran that you memorize something you learn something you recite an ayah once or twice and you know when it comes up, up again you say oh I know this ayah oh, I already read this surah I don't need to do it again rather no review and repeat multiple times this is something that we learn throughout this, the tradition for example why do we recite surah kahf so often every week if we, if we, why don't we do it just once a month or just once a year no rather this concept of reviewing of repeating things because we are not repeating it only for the for the purpose of just reading it for, for just reading it of reading it just to read it but rather so that every time we read it we extract another benefit from it and every time that we read it, it impacts our heart even more and more and removes those sins that we have accumulated and removes that dust and that, that hardness of the heart that we have talked about before. This is what the Quran does, it removes that. It removes our sins, it removes the hardness of the heart. And so this was the third point, to review and to revise the Quran frequently, whatever we know. And the fourth is that we recite it in our prayer, that we recite from the Quran, what we know in our salah. When we learn a new surah, recite it in, in, our, in your prayer. This is the best way to review it and to learn it. And specifically, try your best to wake up in the last third of the night and to review your, your Quran in this moment of the night. And this will make your review in your Quran even stronger than it is. And so, and, and this may be difficult at first. It's, it's not easy to wake up that early or to even, you know, when you are reading in, in prayer, and when you're reading a new surah, it's tough. You're going to find yourself making mistakes. And you're going to find yourself confusing ayat with different ayat that you already know. But this is how you get better. And this is from the best of, of ways to recite Quran. To recite it in your, in your salah. And the fifth is that we learn and we understand the meaning. Especially as we get towards the month of Ramadan. In which many of us, we make this habit of, of reading the entire full Quran. Of trying to do so multiple times throughout the month also make a habit of understanding its meaning of picking a surah i'm going to go through the surah i'm going to read its translation and once i read its translation i understand each and every single ayah i'm going to implement it into my life i'm going to look at this ayah and see how can i implement this ayah into my life and lastly and i'll end here inshallah is that we stay away the sixth and last point is that we stay away from sins and this is something in general, we can speak about this, but staying away from any form of sin. Like we talked about last time, replacing music, right? This is, this is a form of, if you, if you replace this with Quran, think about how your sins will be changed and turned into good deeds. And any other sins, this is the means of them being forgiven. But rather staying away from sins and stay away from company that leads you into sins. Stay away from company in which you, when you are with this company, there is no mention of Quran. There is no revision of Quran. And the Quran is abandoned in those, in, in, in those meetings and in those you know, hangouts and in, in those times that you are together. These are people that you want to stay away from or bring the Quran to these gatherings. Bring the Quran to these gatherings and surround yourself with people who you ask each other questions about Quran. You are learning Quran together. And this is something all of us, every single one of us in here can do. All of us, we all have this, this journey with the Quran. And we can all take it upon ourselves and ask the person to our left, to our right, someone we know. And we say, I'm trying to learn the surah. You, are you down to learn the surah with me? This surah has 30 ayahs. Let's do one ayah a day. You know, are you down to listen to me every night? You know, one ayah. Let's listen to each other. Let's check each other. You know, let's, let's, let's find 
a series of lectures that explains you know, these ayat and how we can implement it into our life and go through this together. These are the types of things that we should be doing. And so when we speak about the carriers of Quran and those who are the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they come with these traits. They come with these qualities that they know the Quran. They come with this proper understanding. They come with this proper recitation. And most importantly, they come with this proper implementation. And so we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us among those who are hamalat al-Qur'an, from those who are the carriers of Qur'an. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow the Qur'an to testify for us and not against us. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us and to increase us in remembrance of Him and remembrance and the recitation of Qur'an. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Amen. Inshallah ta'ala Muhammad is going to be starting. in front of 20s and 30s and 40s of people, hundreds of people, 
because the, the prophet, they came to call on people to the Tawheed. Mm. And the Tawheed that purifies the heart, meaning it, it takes one away from shirk. And you're, you're with the Tawheed, you worship Allah, the one who created you, mm. and you're, get, you're getting close to Allah. No. Rather, you're getting close to them that were Tawheed. No. In a summary, basically, the Tawheed, the oneness of Allah, when you take the time to cleanse the soul, right? By inputting the Tawheed, inputting the remembrance of Allah in the soul, right? You are indirectly what, or you are directly connecting this heart to its creator, right? And there's no means of purification other than in the hands of who? Allah Azza wa This is where the Tawheed is the origin of any type of cleansing the soul. Any type of purification must be through the Tawheed, right? And there's many, but we just want to let remind ourselves. Uh, the second of the principles in purifying the soul was what? Dua. Type how is the dua a means in purifying the soul? Okay, you have to get closer to Allah. You are in the state where you're communicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ta'ib, something else. So give me a little bit more. Forgiveness. Huh? Forgiveness. Dua is a means of getting forgiveness. Forgiveness, Allah forgiving your sins is a means for your heart being cleansed. Naam. Tawakkul. This is very good. The Ramadan sallallahu This is very important. Hidayat. Naam? Hidayat. Hidayat. This is very important too. The tawakkul and the hidayat. The tawakkul You being in a state of dua, especially when you're asking for the tazkiyah, the purification of the soul, this is showing your tawakkul in Allah. Your reliance on Allah. In other words, it's showing you that you are what? You know that your affairs are in the hands of whom? Allah. And you know that if you want your soul purified, it is in the hands of whom? Allah. This is dua. And hidayah, as the Sheikh said. Hidayah, the guidance. We talked about the greatest dua in the Quran. What's the greatest dua in the Quran? Surah Al-Fatiha. Why is it the greatest dua? What are you asking for? Hidayah. Right? And that is the origin of purification. When you are trying to purify your soul, your soul, in other words, what are you doing? You're trying, you're asking Allah to guide you. When the guidance is with you, that soul is being purified. Right? So this is what you're asking for. And this is showing you the what? Your reliance on Allah and that the purification is in the hands of Allah. The third thing we just talked about the Quran. This should be easy. How is the Quran? We listed many. How is the Quran a means of cleansing the soul and purifying the heart? Hmm. This is your gateway to Allah. This is your gateway to Allah. This is the, this book is what teaches you who Allah is, right? And this goes back to Tawheed. The dua went back to Tawheed. I'm asking Allah, so this goes back to the oneness of Allah. The Quran is a book that is the speech of Allah and is teaching me about Allah In other words, the more I am acquainted with this Quran, the more my heart is acquainted with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Therefore, the purer your heart gets. Right? It is a book that is what? Talking about Allah Azza wa This is why it is the best thing to be, to, to, to be friends with the Quran. Because it's a book from cover to cover telling you about who? Allah Azza wa And the more the heart is acquainted with Allah, Barely with the remnants of Allah do the hearts find what? Tranquility. And this is the book that is the asl and the origin of the remnants of Allah. It's the greatest dhikr actually. The greatest dhikr is this book. The fourth, right? And we'll, we'll just begin it today, inshallah. The fourth of the ten principles. 
that one must busy themselves with in order to cleanse their heart and soul. This fourth principle is taken a proper role model. Taking a proper role model. We're speaking about someone specific. Who are we speaking about? We're speaking about the Prophet. And now, why did the Shaykh, this is very important too, understanding why the Shaykh worded some segments in such a way, why he titled some chapters in such a way, this is very important. This is pondering in itself, right? This is how we do it. Why did Allah use this word? Why did he use this word? Why not this word? You get what I'm saying? So, even with the Mashayikh, the Mashayikh, the, the Shaykh, the scholars will follow the way of the Quran and the Sunnah. Even their choice of words, you see the eloquence in there and the understanding. You also see the wisdom, right, in their portrayal. He could have just said, following the Prophet, right? Or being acquainted with the Master, but he said, taking a proper role model, taking a great role model example. Why? What is known, right, is that anyone who has any sort of goal in their life, names, right? I want to be a good basketball player, right? I want to be successful in school. I want to be wealthy, right? Whatever, I want to be someone who owns a dealership, I want to own my own business, whatever it may be, whatever the goal is, right? Usually you're gonna find this person who is diligent in attaining that goal from the steps they have taken are what? Role model, someone that you're reading up about, someone that you're looking at, the foot, you follow, you're following his footsteps. What did he do? What shortcomings did he fall into? What hardship did he go through? How can I avoid it? How did he get to where he is today? Whatever the goal is, tell me I'm wrong. Right? Usually anyone who you see is very disciplined in attaining a goal, they're looking for somebody and they usually have someone that they're trying to mimic. Right? Or someone's lifestyle almost memorized to help to help the one guide them through their path. Because they have similar what? Goals. So this goal of purifying the soul. Who is greater than taking the Prophet one who, who Allah above seven heavens has bear witness and testified that the doors of paradise won't open except to this man. First, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. If the doors of paradise will not open except to him, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, first, that is showing us that he is from the purest of men to walk. Because those doors of paradise do not open to anyone except that their hearts are purified. Even the Muslims, the monotheists who come on that day, and they have sins left over, right? They are they are prohibited of entering the Jannah until they are cleansed. Until they are cleansed from the sins and the filth that they left off in the dunya. So if they were not from those who Allah has forgiven, meaning they left the dunya, right? They went to the akhirah and their sins were not forgiven. And Allah chose that they're from the people who get a temporary punishment. That temporary punishment is for one reason, and is to purify them from the filth that they had behind. The sins that they have behind, because the jinn is prohibited for anyone who is not in a state of 100% purity. So the jannah being prohibited to open, except that the Prophet that is what does it show you? The purest man to walk, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right? يَسْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَإِنْ كَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ لَفِي ضَلَالِ مُبِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran قَدَّمَنَّ اللَّهُ Allah has given virtue and tafdeel and status 
للمؤمنين, to the believers, how? Why did Allah, Allah is talking about how he's given the believers status and virtue and elevated them. Then Allah mentions why. Look at the first thing Allah mentions. The reason why their status elevated is because Allah brought to them a Nabi This is why their status was here. You know why the companions are from the best of people to walk outside of the listeners? Many of the scholars say it is sufficient that they saw this man. They didn't have to be people who took the knowledge from him or were scholars or ascribed or anything. They, simply they saw him, it's enough. And that's why from this, the companions who had the lowest of status, meaning they didn't have that much knowledge or that much application, but he was merely considered a companion for just meeting the Messenger no man will ever reach this man's status simply because he met him That's how much of a blessing he is So Allah says The Muslims and the believers have virtue due to Allah sending to them a messenger Who is this messenger? He recites to them and reveals to them the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala When he was a king, here's the shahid Here's what we're talking about The goal that we're trying to get to is purifying the soul, right? And we said the fourth step is what? Taking a proper role model, which is the Prophet right? Here Allah says that this messenger was sent to the believers and he recites and reveals the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and at the same time he does what? Why you and he purifies them. He purifies them from the filth of polytheism, from the filth of bad manners, bad conduct, right? Bad habits, bad tendencies, you name it. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to do, sallallahu And he teaches them. He emulates the Quran and the Sunnah. This is Al-Kitab wal-Hikmah. When you find Kitab al-Hikmah in the Quran, and it's found in a couple of verses in the Quran, Al-Kitab wal-Hikmah, this means the Quran and the Sunnah. Right? Because the Quran is Wahy, it's revelation, and the Sunnah is what? Revelation. So why did Allah call the Sunnah Hikmah? Wisdom. Because the Sunnah is the application of the Quran. And it was applied by whom? The wisest of men, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is why Allah calls the sunnah hikmah. And he teaches them the Qur'an and the sunnah. A, the two forms of revelation that bring the one who holds on to them, salvation. Qala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Kitabullah wa sunnati. The Prophet says in the hadith, I have left behind Two things, if you were to hold firm upon them, you will never be misguided, ever. You will never find depression, anxiety, lack of success, being upset, feeling alone, ever. You will never find them. The Quran and my Sunnah. Wallahi, one who gives his life to these two forms of revelation and generally comes to a state with himself or with herself that their best friend is the revelation. Their best friend is the Quran. They can be in their room, their friends can be out of town, their parents can be busy. They, most of us will be bored in the state, right? No technology, no type of electricity is gone, and they are still in a state of complete tranquility and happiness. Because the Quran is right there, and the books of the hadith are right there. They have the messenger right there with them, so I said. That is the hadith of the Prophet He's right there with you. The Quran is your, your, your Lord's speech. What more than you would do you want? What more do you want? Look at the people who, who held firm to these two forms of revelation. What kind of success they attained. 
a success that we can't even fathom in this day and age, the 21st century. That we look back, it's, it, it's the success is so much. When you read about the people in the past, the scholars of the past, and these tribes and nations of the past, after the Prophet ﷺ, of course, that you are just in a state of shock. You're like, how? This is impossible. How can a nation be like this? How can a man worship Allah like this? How can Allah bless someone or a people or a community or a society like this? Why? Because at the same time, we are so broken as an ummah. Why are we broken? Because we left off what the Prophet ﷺ told us to hold on to. He says two things I left behind, hold on to it. You will never find this guy. We did the exact opposite. We decided to hold on to the dunya, and the Quran and Sunnah is there when it's convenient. Whatever is convenient for me, I'll take it. Whatever is for my benefit, I'll take it. Right? But the dunya is what I held on to. I clung on to the dunya. And then that's why the state of the ummah is why it is to you. May Allah protect us and uplift the ummah. So this is this ayah shows us, right, that the Prophet ﷺ and taking him as a what as a role model is from the greatest forms of purification. Allah has this in the Quran. Uh, there has been put a great and excellent example in the Prophet for those who are truly seeking Allah in the day of judgment. So here's the criteria. If you are someone and your heart is truly seeking Allah in the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the day of judgment, then upon you is to hold on to the example of the Prophet. Allah said there is a perfect example found in the Messenger. Right? And one must understand the importance of learning about from Allah. One must understand why it's obligatory upon the Muslims to learn about this man, sallallahu alayhi wa Right? The moment you begin learning about the seal of the Prophet, you start to realize how relatable he is. How the things he went through in life, it truly teaches you a lesson. You, no matter what avenue you're taking, no matter what hardship or conflict you are going through, right? You start to realize that what he went through, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, first and foremost, is something that I would not be able to fathom. And two, seeing the outcome and his reaction, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to these hardships and the likes, you, it, it's a lesson for you, for you to take and apply, right? So this is, these are from the greatest reasons why the Prophet is from the greatest forms of purification for one soul, right? It is a whole mentor, it is a teacher. It is a teacher, it is someone who lived life, right? And was afflicted in a way that no one else was afflicted, right? And not only that, but he had the, the legislation that is amongst us today. And he applied it, he walked it, he emulated it. And as Muslims, we are utmost certain that this is the only way to Allah. The only way to Allah's pleasure, the only way to Allah's jannah and mercy and reward is what? This legislation. And look from the mercy of Allah. He didn't just preserve his legislation and the rules and halal and haram and shara'ah. He didn't just preserve this. He could have simply just done that, subhanAllah. He could have just hear the rule book. It is clear as day. Just take it and apply it. You guys are human. You have intellect. I'm giving you guys the best of intellect. He could have simply just left us the rule book and told us to apply it. 
That is from Allah's mercy. But look how Allah's mercy goes further. He brought a man to reveal it, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He didn't just bring a man to just reveal it and pass it out. He brought a man to walk it and to apply it from A to Z in the best way physically possible. This is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just from the, the, the brief words that do not give this topic is due diligence. I think we can come to a conclusion collectively and how important it is and necessary it is to learn about the Sirah of the Prophet Is that not the case? It is. Right? And rather, it is, a, it is very hard to be a Muslim who is steadfast and upright if you are not acquainted with the seal. Rather, I am almost certain I can say it is close to impossible if you're not acquainted with this man, sallallahu Right? Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawzi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says in his book, Madam al-Salikin, he says, Right? He says, Verily, curing the hearts and the souls are much more severe than curing the body and the limbs. Right? This is what Ibn says, right? So he gives an example. He says, If one was afflicted, if one was afflicted with an illness on their limbs or in their body, right? And they decided to cure themselves with his opinion or with her opinion. What kind of success will they attain? Zero. Little to none. Right? Rather, what is the first thing that's going to be said to that person who was found trying to cure himself, his body, with his own opinion? You know, why aren't you going to a doctor? Why aren't you going to a professional? Right? He said, therefore, the example of attaining the purification of the soul is only found through the Messenger Wasallam." is only found through the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and those who try to find a way in cleansing their heart and soul in a method that he did not legislate Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is the example of the one who tried to cure his body with his own opinion right? does everyone see that? does that make sense? and does everyone understand why the origin of purification is found in Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam it is found in the ayah the Surah Al-Imran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is narrated, we find it Hassan al-Basri ta'ala, he says about this verse, he says, at the time of the Prophet there was a people who claimed the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who claimed that they loved Allah right? So Allah tested them with this verse. There's the ayah, then there's going to be the ayah of test. A test in the truthfulness in one statement. What is the statement? Look what the people used to say at the time of the Prophet Right? At the time of the Prophet there were people who claimed the love of Allah. At the time of the Prophet there was what? There were Christians. There was Jews. Hatta even there was a group of the polytheisms and the mushrik, the polytheists and the mushriki who used to claim that they loved Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all these people are claiming the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? in front of the Prophet whilst willingly neglecting his way and neglecting his teachings, right? So what does Allah say? Say to them, O Muhammad, verily if you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you must follow me and you must follow the Prophet 
Your claim of loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no value with that. If you do not come with this prerequisite, which is what? Which is following the Messenger alayhi salatu wa sallam. Allah doesn't stop here. Allah says, if you follow the Messenger alayhi salatu wa sallam, not only does that prove your claim that you love Allah, but Allah will return what? Allah will love you. And had the whole shatn. A shatn, they say shatn, and to him. Well, I can shatn and to have. Right? The goal is not to claim, to merely just utter and say, oh, I love Allah. I claim that I love Allah. Rather, the goal that one should be attaining and looking forward to is what? That Allah loves you. How many people are walking the earth for, for years claiming that this came with this claim that they love Allah? But how many of them actually attain the love of Allah? What is going to be a testifier for you on the day of judgment? Your claim of love or Allah's love for you? What's going to testify for you? And look how dear the Messenger is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For him to attach this great reward of his love, of Allah's love. That if you hear this news that Allah has loved you and Allah loves you, you are in the best of hands. Nothing can stop you in this dunya and the next, most importantly in the next. If Allah's love has been showered upon you on that day where people are running from their own family and parents and offspring, Allah's love has been bestowed upon you and you are safe. You're good to go. And look how Allah loves the Messenger and how much of a value it is to the Muslim Ummah. For you to gain Allah's love, you must come with the prerequisite of what? Following the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Following the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right? Following the Messenger is from the greatest traits and the greatest characteristics that prove your true love for the Messenger Sallallahu and your true love for Allah Subhanahu Wa Right? And many people can come with this claim that they love the Messenger Alayhi Salatu Wasallam. But how many actually tried the best to follow the criteria that has been set by the Prophet Alayhi Salatu Wasallam in following him and applying Islam in the way he did Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Right? And that's why we will end inshallah ta'ala today. Right? And this topic I believe will take a couple of weeks. Inshallah It will take a couple of weeks. As each of these topics should have taken a couple of weeks in itself. Right? So we ask a lot of pardon for coming short. We'll end very briefly with going over four conditions of uttering the statement, Ashhadun Muhammad al It's very heavy, very important. If you walk away with anything today, this is from the greatest benefits that you walk away with today, inshallah. Right? A statement that you utter in every tashahid, a statement that you hear in every adhan, a statement that you hear in the iqam, right? A statement rather that one's Islam is not considered to be Islam or will not be valid in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except that he comes with this justification. And he bear witnesses that the messenger is the messenger of Allah Right? And knowing that there are four conditions extracted from the Quran to go ahead and make this justification valid in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, everyone's ears should be open. It's very important. And then when we go over these conditions, we ask ourselves, am I doing my best to follow condition one, two, three, four? Tayyip. Four conditions. Al-Ula. Ta'atuhu fima amal. The first condition is obeying him and what he has commanded. Obeying him and what he has commanded. So Allah is with the Quran regarding this specific condition. Whatever the Prophet has given you, a way he's commanded you with, then what? Take by it. Hold on to it. Meaning do it. Apply it. 
من الأنظر آية وما أرسلنا من رسول إلا ليطاع بإذن الله and we have not sent a messenger to the nations except that he is what obeyed meaning everything he comes he comes with he is obeyed because this messenger is has direct ties to Allah Azza wa Jalla the source of revelation so whatever he commands you to do it is a commandment from who in general or who in totality from Allah Azza wa Jalla right so obeying the messenger and everything he has came every commandment he has came you must obey him this is from the first conditions of saying Shalom Alhamdulillah Rasulullah. The first verse I gave is in Surah Al Hashr. The second verse I gave is in Surah Al Nisa. The second condition Right? Believing in everything he is informed of. Right? Number two is believing and being certain in everything he's informed of from Right? The Prophet his sunnah is filled with him telling us about affairs of the past. Right? And it's filled with him telling us about affairs of the what? The future. And it's filled with him telling us about affairs of when? The day of judgment. Right? So as a Muslim who says, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. You must with certainty, as long as the hadith is authentic, right? You must with certainty believe in everything he's informed you of, right? There's no time for us to find out about and validate the news of the past. And there's no way for us to validate the news of the future, right? But from your belief in the Prophet ﷺ, that he is a sadiq al-musduq, كما قال ابن عباس في الحديث, he is a sadiq al-musduq, right? This is Sayyidina Al-Mas'al Al-Mas'tuq, right? He is the most truthful one, the truthful one, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So whatever he's informed you of, right? You must believe it. And the ayah in Surah Al-Najm shows us that everything that the Prophet has stated, no matter how quote-unquote absurd it may seem. Because today we live in a day and age where people are rejecting a hadith and rejecting statements of the Prophet simply because it does not conform with what? Science, or my intellect, or logic. This truly it is belittlement and it is stupidity. It is stupidity. For the one who understands Shatni Nabi Sallallahu the one who understands the status of the Prophet. Look how clear this verse is. It is for everyone that everyone who comes and rejects the hadith of the Prophet. Because their poor little intellect can't interpret. Look how you don't understand how deficient our intellects are as humans. And my intellect is different than his, and different than his, and different than hers. All of our intellects are different. How is intellect a precondition of me interpreting and accepting revelation? How? It cannot be a precondition. It could be a factor that is necessary, yes. Right? But how can it be a precondition? If all the intellects in itself are not the same. And our intellects are deficient in itself. And our intellects cannot even comprehend most of the things that Allah has came with. And his Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Allah Subhanahu says about the Prophet and he does not speak and he does not speak from his desires anything he speaks is not from his desires not from his benefit what is it rather? rather everything he speaks is a revelation that is revealed to him Jibreel is the one who taught it to him. 
So this is clear cut right here to prove the second condition, right? That you must believe and be certain in everything that the Messenger has informed us of. This is from your aqidah, from your creed, from your belief system. You must believe in everything he has what? Informed us of with no doubt and no shak and no right. No right. That's clear? Number three. Right? Number three is refraining from everything he has what? Prohibited. Refraining from everything is prohibited. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَا أَتَاكُمْ رَسُولُ فَخُذُوا What's next? وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ Right? وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ And whatever he has prohibited you from or told you to stay away from them, you must what? Refrain from it. Right? Everything he has what? He has came with and prohibited, you must take it as if it is a verse. It takes the same context and it takes the same value as a verse. Right? Whatever he is king of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's the third condition. And the fourth and final one is The fourth one is that Allah Azzawajal This is very important. Allah Azzawajal is not worshipped except through what he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has legislated. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is not worshipped except through what the Prophet has legislated. Right? And we have proof for this in Quran and Sunnah. And we have logical proof for this as well. Quran and Sunnah. The Prophet says in the hadith narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. Where the Prophet mentions and says, <coughs> the Prophet says in the hadith, The meaning of the hadith is whatever has been brought into this religion that is not from our affairs, it is not from the legislation of the Prophet, then it is rejected. The Prophet said, Whoever does an action, an act of worship, that is not in alignment, alignment with the legislation of the Prophet, then it is rejected. This shows us that the precondition from our acts of worship being accepted or at least valid in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that it must come in accordance to what? The guidance of the Prophet Right? This, this is a hadith that shows us clearly that actions will be rejected if it's not upon the hajj of the guidance of the Prophet What about a verse from the Quran? Allah subhanahu wa And verily, this is my one single straight path, so follow it. And do not follow the other paths that arise, ages paths that do not come in accordance with the Prophet. Any path that does not come in accordance, that has no basis with the Prophet, these are the paths that are going to lead you astray. Right? That's what this verse says. Follow the path of the Prophet Don't follow the other paths that do not have a basis going back to the Prophet A chain going back to the Prophet And this ayah has commentary in the hadith in Bukhari where the Prophet was sitting amongst his companions and he was drawing a line. He drew a line in the ground with a stick. And he says, هَذَا صِرَاتُ He said, this is the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One path. And then he started drawing lines here. And these are all paths 
that divert one from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala كل سبل شيطان من فيها right and all these other paths are paths that are diverted from that one path of Allah a the path that is not of course with the way of the Prophet and on the heads of each of these paths is the shaytan is Iblis, is the shaytan the devil that's calling you away from the Prophet these are revelations, forms of revelation to show us that condition number four, which is what? What is the fourth condition that we just gave? Intensifying that the Prophet is the Messenger of Allah. Worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the legislation of the Prophet. And logically speaking, we'll end here. This is a man, alayhi salatu wasalam. He's granted the highest levels of Jannah. How many times have we said that? Granted the highest levels of Jannah. No one feared Allah like he did. No one had hope in Allah like he did. No one loved Allah like he did, sallallahu alayhi wa No one worshipped Allah in a manner and in an effort like he did, sallallahu alayhi wa He is from the who was saying you what he was saying you what he did, sallallahu alayhi wa Right? The paradise opens to him first. How many times have we said this? Not just today. Many times have we said this. Is this not enough for you to understand? Right? That if you want to be on that path where you make it to Jannah in the highest levels of Jannah, you have no other way other than his. He has the highest levels of paradise. He is the highest level. There's no level higher than that in Jannah. There's no level higher than that. So it makes no sense to take away other than his. It makes no sense to follow what is convenient for me. Or what I was taught here or what I was taught there. Rather, it only makes sense logically. It only makes sense for me to follow what comes in accordance to his way. If he already has attained the highest level, so why How could another way be better? That's why Imam Malik Rahimahullah Ta'ala he said, Imam Malik, he says, whomever believes that there is something from the legislation of Islam that the Prophet did not come with, then he is indirectly saying that the Prophet cheated the message. Why? Because from your belief also in the Prophet is that he led you to every, every path of good. Every form of good that is possible, he's led you to it. And every form of evil and every avenue of evil, he has what? He has warned you from it. That is from your aqeel and the belief in the Prophet. You must believe this. And you must also believe that whatever he's came with, the religion was complete upon his death. The religion, the doors of the religion, adding to the religion, was over once his soul left his body. On this day, I've completed your religion. This right here is Ahsan wa Afdalu Bishara. The greatest of glad tidings that anyone can go ahead and listen to is that on this day, Allah is telling us what? Your religion is complete. In other words, everything you need is here. Everything you need for success is here. Everything you need for Jannah is here. Everything you need for my pleasure is what? Is here. It's complete. The doors are closed. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. Right? And don't you ever believe that there is a way to Allah other than what He has legislated, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and what Allah subhanahu wa taala has legislated. Any questions? Huh? The second condition is believing and being certain of everything He, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, has informed us of. Everyone has those four conditions done. We'll ask about them next week. It's very important. Any other questions? Everything clear? طيب إن شاء الله تعالى